have Peter McCarthy and Gary White Deer on the phone over in Dublin talking and telling us all about the March of the Choctaw. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Or, Hello. Or it's, it's good afternoon over there. Yeah. <laughs> and we should tell our listeners as well, by the way, that we are streaming out there on the web, www.thegaelicar, and we're also live stream camera in studio, and that is at livestream.com slash forward the Hour, and we Twitter. So, uh, the March of the Choctaw. March of the Choctaw is a uh, feature documentary for a festival a cinematic release, and uh, you want to get this out in there. And it's uh, to commemorate the $175 donation that the Choctaw made. $175, Gary White, dear, $175, and of course, Gary White, you are a member of the Choctaw tribe. Yeah, I'm a member of, uh, I'm a uh, member of the Choctaw Nation. Yeah. And t- uh, 1847, uh, $175 to Ireland. Give us a bit of background. That was $170, uh, but it's uh, not that much money to uh, make a difference about it. So, I've uh, been described as one uh, poor, dispossessed nation um, reaching out to help another. <clears throat> the, the setting was in 1847. It would, would have been March or April. Um, it was a group calling themselves the Memphis Committee, who we think now were Quakers, and they approached uh, ordinary Choctaw people who were gathered at a remote American government outpost and told them about uh, people who were suffering much the same as the Choctaw had just uh, gone through uh, suffering, uh, eviction, uh, starvation, and disease, and so forth, when the Choctaw were expelled by the American Army and the American government from what is now Mississippi. And they were asked uh, to uh, give a donation, and although uh, money, American-type money, was uh, new to the Choctaw then, uh, they gathered up what they had, according to uh, the newspaper accounts of the day, uh, was described as the widow's mind, and then uh, sent that on uh, with the uh, Memphis committee. I understand later the uh, the money was used to buy uh, grain. Uh, was uh, uh, the grain was um, loaded on a ship called the Macedonian, which uh, docked in Dunleary Harbor. Uh, someone told me later. So that's kind of. Uh, brief description of what happened. Now, when you say, uh, you know, it was the widow's mite, like, we are talking the equivalent of about $10,000. The Choctaw Nation at that time, how large a community or how large a a population would have you been able to establish would have constituted the Choctaw at that time? Well, uh, we're really speaking about the Choctaw people and not a a Choctaw government. It was the Choctaw people that gave a, a certain place and point in history, but we would have had about 20,000 before the uh, exodus out of Mississippi, probably about 10 to 15,000 actually, you know, made it to their intended destination. So it it was a small population. Right. And, and of course, uh, even a cent was valuable at that time. So for uh, the Choctaw to come up with $175 was really reaching into a, a well that was practically dry. Well, again, it was a, a uh, monetary system that was very new to the Choctaw. They didn't have uh, much at all. Their condition uh, could be compared uh, to uh, that of the Irish at the time. It was 16 years after the major removals 
1947, you still had groups of Choctaw being uh, expelled from Mississippi to what later became Oklahoma, a march of about 500 to 600 miles. So it was grim times for both the Irish and, and the Choctaws. Now, Gary, in 1996, I know you were you were invited over to Mayo to commemorate this donation, and at that time, uh, you also then uh, were invited up to Derry, and that had a profound impact on you. Well, yes, it did. Uh, in um, 1994, uh, Action from Ireland invited me to Mayo to uh, lead a famine commemoration walk. Uh, uh, on, be, uh, on behalf of the Choctaw people, uh, memory of uh, that donated uh, in 1847. Uh, later, um, I was invited to Derry to do a mural in the Craigan, the uh, Catholic or the uh, national side of, uh, of Derry City. And um, when I was going for paints one day uh, inside the Derry walls, uh, walking down from the Craigan, I accidentally got caught up in a riot. It was uh, the Siege of Derry Parade. There were a lot of uh, orange orders that were marching that day. But what I noticed uh, that day was that although the um, opposing side, if you like, that day, uh, the uh, people who were representing the loyalist community were, were throwing rocks and bottles and unopened cans of beer and so forth, that uh, a crowd that had gathered behind me very tightly so I couldn't turn and walk away. Uh, the crowd I was with, who, who were basically nationalists, didn't bring anything to throw. Uh, however, the uh, RUC, uh, the old uh, Royal Ulster Constabulary, uh, which um, it was the official police force of the British government, lined up against the side that uh, I happened to be on and uh, took out their batons and were preparing to charge. Um, the uh, British Army also sent in what looked like many Saracens or armored vehicles uh, to reinforce the RUC line, and everybody was getting ready to, to attack us. And uh, the side I was on hadn't thrown anything, hadn't done anything. Uh, even a band that was marching by attacked. The, uh, the side that I happened to be on, um, standing there. And it reminded me of what happens sometimes, uh, in uh, the United States, um, where you have, uh, the brief authority of a colonizing regime, uh, imposing their will on a people through, uh, through fear and sometimes terror. And these are experiences that I had, you know, prior to being in Derry, and it, it just sort of, awoke those same understandings again. So when I boarded the plane and, and went back to Oklahoma, which is where I'm from, uh, I started asking the question, if in the north of Ireland, uh, the uh, nationalist community there, after 800 years of British occupation, uh, still uh, maintained an Irish identity, why were uh, First Nations uh, in the United States uh, saying they were Native Americans or, or First Americans or American Indians. In, in our language, uh, in our languages, when we tell people who we are, the the word America or American never appears. So when I got off the plane uh, in Oklahoma City, uh, I was no longer uh, a Native American or a First American. I was, I was Choctaw. And uh, my experience is totally accidental, but my experience that day, 
in Derry City uh, changed me. And um, to that extent, I know that you've been very active in, in driving that message uh, any time you get the opportunity to encourage uh, the what are the First Nations in North America and in the U.S. to be very much aware of their own culture. Well, no, not necessarily. I think the majority uh, of uh, uh, First Nations peoples in, in Canada and the U.S. as well uh, are are comfortable trying to settle into uh, a consumer culture, a consumer-driven culture. And so I only say that for those of us who are, if you like, uh, use the term nationalists, uh, tribal nationalists, uh, that we deserve uh, the option of remaining who we are, remaining ourselves, and not uh, becoming a hyphenated people uh, whose uh, definition is is given to us by others. Uh, so um, it's, I, I don't think this kind of perception is for everyone, uh, but it's certainly the kind of perception that my grandparents have. <clears throat> That's the way they perceived themselves, uh, in this case as Choctaw and not as Americans. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's an option that I hope uh, more and more uh, First Nations peoples will at least consider or, or try and discover. Talking with Gary White, dear, and we will be talking with Peter McCarthy uh, concerning the March of the Choctaw. And I had asked uh, Gary and Peter about some music, and uh, Gary had mentioned he'd like to hear us uh, and share a piece, uh, Orosha the Bahawalia. Uh, Gary, why'd you pick that? I think that's uh, awesome because, uh, oh, about two months ago, I heard uh, John Falan sing that piece. In, um, <clears throat> in a pub in, uh, in West Cork, in Skibbereen. And uh, I liked it. It, it. I had heard it before, but I liked the way he sang it. And it just sort of uh, reminds me of, of West Cork. And we're talking with Gary White about the March of the Chapter, which is a feature documentary uh, movie. And uh, we've been talking to Gary. Uh, Peter, I'm going to talk to you at this stage and tell me... Tell us a little bit about the movie itself and what, what's involved here. Uh, well, I, I guess to, to begin, um, I, I met Gary a few years ago. Uh, I was researching a feature a feature drama, and uh, I came across Gary through Apple, and we ended up doing these family commemoration events in New York, Chicago, and Boston. And while we were in Chicago, we were in this sort of run-down hostel, and I was cooking away some uh, spaghetti bolognese, and Gary was kind of talking away in the background about, about uh, the Choctaw and the Choctaw Nation. And I, I, my ears sort of pricked up when I heard him talking about uh, the, the march and, or the, the, um, the riot in Derry, and I just thought it was, it was peculiar. And then uh, Gary went on further to talk about uh, Choctaw community sovereignty, and I just found it extremely interesting. And, the, and just the whole the parallels that have been going on for, I suppose, almost hundreds of years at this point between the Choctaw and the Irish. Um, given that the Irish wing, I suppose you could go back a couple of hundred years when, when like the Heller Connick was, was an expression uh, that, that's the, that one that's gone through our history books. And we, we, Irish people were, were sort of dispossessed their lands way back and then I suppose the same the same mechanism was used on the Choctaw. With Andrew Jackson's um, Indian Removals Act was it was, it was used on the Choctaw for, uh, moved down from Mississippi. So 
Oklahoma. So there's, there's um, and Andrew Jackson was Scots his, his father was Scots Irish as well. So there's there's, um, there's there's connections intertwining going back so so far. And there's, I just found that fascinating. And then today, Gary, sort of as a result of being in a riot in Derry. Um, it's, I suppose instigating his own, his own sort of way of, of uh, yeah, community sovereignty, expressing community sovereignty as a result of a sort of an Irish connection again. And uh, I just thought that was a very interesting feature, Doc. A very interesting story, really, to tell, yeah. So, out of that, then you decided, well, um, what was the next step? Well, I, we, we were in. Chicago, and we went down to New York, I borrowed a camera, I shot some footage with Gary around New York and in the family memorial uh, park in um, Battery Park, and I sort of cut together a 12-15 minute promo and showed around a few people, there was a bit of interest, we had a sales agent interested in the project, a sales agent distributor, and so from there we're pitching it to the Irish Film Board. Uh, currently and hopefully see how it goes there. But at the same time, we're launching the the crowdfunding on Funded.ie, which is uh, it's similar to Kickstarter.com. It's it's an Irish version. It's called Funded.ie, and basically people can can submit or donate, contribute five five ten fifteen euros. Only well, you, you can do it in Canadian dollars or US dollars as well. But we're hoping, we're hoping to get our sort of initial seed capital up to of twenty thousand euros. To, to kickstart us off, I suppose. Right. Now, I want to get just something I heard there, and I want to put it in context. Like, you're this big-time movie guy, and you're uh, staying in hostels in uh, Chicago. It's not quite the impression we have of the movie mogul. Um, obvi- obviously, it's a struggle to get... Uh, uh, when The arts are always a struggle. Yeah, yeah, and especially... Documentary. Documentary really is a labour of love, like, if you're... It's, it's more about being passionate about the project, not necessarily a, a, something that you can make a, a fine living out of. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so the um, concept behind the movie, what, what is the concept or what do you hope to, in the, in the docudrama, uh, how, what's the intent and what's the end product hopefully to look like? Well, really, um, really it's sort of, it's, it's, it's bringing Gary's, um, I suppose, ideas and uh, I, su- I suppose Gary's sort of vision. And my friend of mine lives in Oklahoma, and he's offered us a, a school bus, you know, one of those yellow school buses. And he, he just happened to buy it about six or eight months ago. So I, I kind of put two and two together, and I thought we can we can go around and visit all the different tribes, like, like the Iroquois, the Lakota, and the Hopi, and we can. Uh, Chat to them about, I suppose, Gary's Gary's vision, but just understand, get get, get their their idea on on uh, community sovereignty too. So, so the idea is to do just one, one big road trip around from from Oklahoma up up uh, around the north and the uh, the east coast down through Mississippi, and then also come down by the, the train of tears as well. And we're 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 going to um, uh, sort of go into a bit of a historical sort of flashback on the train of tears and the Irish. The family as well, and the donation too, as well. So, okay, um, you just you just mentioned the Trail of Tears. For those that may or may not know, could you explain the Trail of Tears? Uh, well, that was as Gary mentioned earlier on. That was the uh, the, mm. Indi- the Jack- President Jackson's Indian Removal Act that, was, that 
uh, instigated the first uh, Indian removal. So the, the, the Choctaw were moved from Mississippi to, Mississippi to Oklahoma, and they right. lost sort of. And that, uh, and and that's referred to as the Trail of Tears. Yeah, that was the first Trail of Tears. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so in, and, and I'm looking at your site here. So the intent is that you would uh, go around to, to some of the various um, uh, reservations and talk to people and get a sense of uh, how their lives are, are, are or have been as a result of the environment that they find themselves in. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the, the general intent is to get a sort of a, an overall vibe. Um, and the, it, 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 it's also, from a documentary point of view, you asked me earlier on, from a documentary point of view, it's sort of like, for me, I, I went to Thailand before, and we we were there a year and a half, and we, we shot about 140 hours of footage. So the, the idea would be, and this uh, would be to, to to shoot quite a lot of footage, quite a lot of interviews, and get sort of an overall sense, and then to, to cut that down to 90 minutes. Um, but it, it's quite tricky to say what the actual outcome of the, the project will be. So I, I suppose it's a shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing as well. Right. So right. and also it, it, it is a journey of discovery. So we don't really know what we're going to find either. Like we, we generally with a doc like that, you sort of you map it out as best you can, and then you come across a lot of surprises on the way, and then that's, that's kind of that's the juice of your 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 editing of your documentary. Yeah. Right. I notice on your map that you're coming quite close to uh, us here in that uh, you have the Iroquois uh, on the, the map and you seem to cross over into Canada and come down through uh, Toronto into London, Ontario uh, as part of the planned schedule. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what you want to do in that is cover both sides. But just it, As far as this type of a documentary is concerned, it's North American as distinct from American. Yeah, yeah, and we're also heading down to to um, Guatemala as well on a, a sort of a a short trip. Um, so um, you are over in Ireland at the moment because we are talking in Dublin. What brings you over there, and how much time are you spending over there? Well, uh, it's my going uh, past my fourth month, so I guess the guard will be looking for me pretty soon. I have to figure out somebody's basement to hide in. No, actually, they gave me a little bit extra time to be here. Um, you know, the weather is pretty similar to uh, where you're at right now. We're looking out a window at a lot of rain and wet and stuff, and uh, so it's, it's been it's rainy. A, and, uh, yeah, wet, but it's uh, a little different than Oklahoma. Well, yeah, you know, uh, somebody uh, rang me a couple of weeks ago and said car batteries are exploding in Oklahoma because uh, the water is evaporating so quickly because of the heat. Yeah. So it's it's I'm I'm glad I'm in Dublin anyway. But uh, I came over here um, uh, initially to do the Afri Famine Walk in May. I uh, was selected as a walk leader again, and so uh, I don't walk as fast as I used to. Uh, I think I did three miles and then um, dove in the rescue car with my head down. But uh, anyway, after that, um, was uh, asked uh, by Peter to stay on and and help with the documentary. So I've been doing that and, and some other stuff. I've been painting over here and, and visiting friends. And I, don't know, I have a, a very good friend, Don Mullen, who's asked me to to write uh, a bit of uh, autobio. So I've been struggling with that. So just different things. That, uh, and you were involved, I, I know, Gary, you were involved also in, in Skibbereen, I think, when the commemorative events were going on. Yeah, that was two years ago, and Eamon Cleave, who, who was uh, Minister for the Wheel Tech at the time, 
Um, he uh, gave a very good address. It was often the first time that the uh, government of Ireland ever uh, has officially commemorated uh, uh, a, uh, a famine event uh, in a town like Skibreen. And, and last year, I think, they went to Mayo. So, but it was the very first time, and um, I was uh, happy to be there again. I'm just a, a, uh, a very small representative of, of uh, what was really um, a very small donation for its time, 1847, the Choctaw uh, donation to Ireland. But it, it was great anyway. There was good healing spirit there. And, um, and so uh, after so long uh, a time of not dealing, I, I think, with uh, intergenerational trauma, uh, which the famine in Ireland certainly is, I, I'm glad to see that uh, the government of Ireland is, is uh, holding these types of commemorations. So, Gary, within the Choctaw Nation, would there be and is there a, a, an awareness of this donation throughout the, the nation and, and the uh, importance of it in many ways? Um, I think there is now, but uh, uh, through the same way that uh, the Irish people themselves were reacquainted with it. Um, uh, again, uh, referring to my friend Don Mullen, uh, when he was uh, working with Action from Ireland, he discovered this uh, little famine link uh, as a footnote in history, uh, the Choctaw donation. And he dusted off that link, and he brought it to the world as a, as a parable for our time. And uh, I don't think either among the Irish people or the Choctaw people there's, there's any sort of oral tradition that, uh, that has come down about it. So the Choctaw people themselves have, have relearned about it through, you know, um, a, um, I guess a uh, reiteration of that event in, in, you know, spoken and printed words. Right. And I'm sure that the reaction must have been one of great pride. Well, I suppose, um, I, I can't speak for all Choctaw people, uh, but, uh, you know, my, my relatives would have uh, donated uh, money like that out of the teaching, you know, because we're, uh, we're taught if someone's hungry, you feed them. And, and uh, the greatest thing you can do is feed someone because you're extending human life. And, and, and that's, that's a teaching I, I heard as a boy and, and several times since. So I, I think it would have been a matter of course for those older folks. And so today, depending on who you are, I think, but a lot of more traditional Choctaw people would say, well, that's good they did that. Um, and uh, they should have. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's an echo of something that, uh, you know, they, they left to us as a uh, as an, an inheritance, uh, a value, I guess. Right, right. So the um, bus tour uh, that you're planning, or, or the journey on the bus, uh, would you have, I guess, you would have a, a much closer knowledge than Peter would have had, and were you instrumental in selecting where and where you plan on going? Well, uh, Peter and I discussed it. Of course, he's, he's the uh, director, so uh, ultimately uh, he has the authority to, you know, uh, uh, incarcerate people and to uh, <laughs> <laughs> hang them up by their thumbs and so forth. But uh, I did suggest uh, I was allowed input, and I, I chose uh, specific uh, tribal communities and locations uh, for for one main reason. And, for example, uh, when we were uh, referring to Hopi Land, 
there are three traditional Hopi villages uh, in the state that do not have an official relationship with the government of the United States. Uh, they still maintain their original sovereignty. And it's the kind of sovereignty that I call now a tribal community sovereignty, which is what I advocate. And it's those three villages that we're most interested in visiting uh, to ask them, not just how they're getting on, but really ask them, uh, how did you do that all these years? Uh, uh, why did you not want to have a, uh, an official relationship with, uh, with the Americans? And as well, uh, mentioning going to uh, Iroquois country, um, last year uh, the Iroquois uh, lacrosse team, lacrosse being a traditional uh, Indian sport, uh, uh, refused to uh, travel to the finals in, uh, in Britain uh, on American passports. Uh, at the uh, last hour, Hillary Clinton uh, was going to give them waivers, but the government of, uh, of the United Kingdom decided uh, that they wouldn't admit them, and the, uh, the Iroquois players uh, refused to travel. They have their own international passports that they wanted to have honored. And so we want to ask them, why didn't you decide to go to the World Finals of the Cross? Uh, on American passports, what made you stay home? Uh, th this is a, uh, a game original to you, and uh, yet you refuse to go. Uh, and why do you have your own international passports? So th these are questions that we're kind of teasing out. Uh, the same in Canada. When we come to Canada, we want to ask First Nations there that still maintain uh, significant measures of their original sovereignty. How difficult has that been? Uh, and uh, why do they still do it? So those, those are some of the uh, locations we chose. We chose uh, Guatemala too as well to go down and talk to the Maya people, specifically Rigoberto Manchu, who is running for uh, candidates, uh, of, uh, uh, running for the presidency as a candidate, uh, I understand this fall. Uh, full-blood Maya woman, and uh, we want to ask her about how she sees uh, tribal sovereignty playing out against uh, a uh, Eurocentric model, which is uh, the uh, government of Guatemala. So th those are questions that we we hope to get specific answers to. Uh, we uh, would finish the documentary documentary in uh, in Ireland. We we want to expand those questions to ask. How free are the Irish people in their own nation states when you have uh, the IMF, for example, uh, breathing down everyone's neck and uh, uh, a very poor economic climate, uh, seemingly more and more uh, freedoms of the Irish people are passing out of their control because of, of uh, indebtedness and so forth. So, so those are uh, some of the places we'll be going and why. Excellent. Well, we're coming up close to the top of the hour. And, uh, but I want to thank both of you guys for coming on the show and bringing us up to date and telling us what you're up to. And uh, Gary White, dear, and Peter McCarthy uh, over in Dublin, I said thanks a million for coming on. And this is...